1 Kings chapter 17, 1 through 16. Uh, You'll find the words behind me if you've got it with you. Uh, You can follow along. Otherwise, just listen and read as I read it uh, to you. Uh, We're gonna we're gonna look at we're gonna start looking at this guy named Elijah. Um, We're gonna spend three weeks doing that, and uh, this morning is sort of a little bit of a an introduction to some themes. Um, I won't be explicitly saying this is a theme we're going to follow, um, but this is sort of an uh, introduction into his life, and we'll move through in the next couple of weeks, and I think it will be fun. Uh, so 1 Kings 17, 1 through 16, uh, before we read, let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you uh, again for this book. Oh, this book that we love. Thank you uh, for speaking to us in it and through it. And by your Spirit speaking and saying and transforming and changing. And that's what we hope to experience here this morning. So help us to, to have ears that hear and eyes that see and hearts that are wide open. So that we can experience you yet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, 1 Kings 17. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. Can we just stop and notice? Just stop and notice how cool that is. Like, I'm, I'm Aaron, the Amesite from Ames in Iowa just doesn't sound as cool as now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead, come on now, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Ravens are going to provide for you? What is happening? doesn't seem very likely. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. A widow? So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, as surely as the Lord your God, so not an Israelite, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So they're at the end of it. They got nothing left. They think they're going to die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. 
go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. For there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. We will go that far. Is that a strange story to anybody? Seems like a strange story. But also intriguing and fascinating one. So like I said, we're going to start this three-week little thing into the life of, of Elijah. Now, Elijah was a, a prophet. And I, wanted, I want us to understand a little something about prophets as we uh, get into this. Because prophets weren't necessarily people who just... A lot of times we think about prophets as people who uh, sort of predict the future or forecast the future or almost like, like uh, fortune teller magic people. Um, prophets were primarily just truth tellers. Like, that's what they did. And that's what they still do today. Prophets are primarily just truth tellers. They were and still are today. You could think of them as reformers. They're agitators. They're disturbers of the peace. They sort of love to disrupt the status quo. They love to prick people's consciousness and, and say, nah, maybe we ought to think a little bit more about this. Maybe we, maybe we need to think a little bit more, more deeply about things here. See, prophets were known for telling the truth that no one wants to tell, and certainly the kind of truth that no one wants to hear. So prophets often spoke up for the people that no one else will speak up for, the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, those kinds of people. Right? So prophets would often speak truth to power, which means it takes a certain amount of guts to be a prophet. Elijah was that kind of guy. He shows up on Israel's scene sort of out of nowhere. It's like, where'd this guy come from? Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead. Suddenly, he shows up in the narrative in 1 Kings. Right? He shows up. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead, said to Ahab, who is the king of Israel, he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Oh my goodness. We have to understand he's taking a chance here. He's stepping into the court of the king and really what he's doing, this is a big deal. He's issuing a challenge. Now, to understand why this was such a big deal, we have to sort of, and why this probably took a whole ton of faith for Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead. We have to understand why, we have to get into the larger story, right? We've, why did this take so much, so, many, so much guts? So what's the big deal about this? Because clearly, God says, okay, now you, you've done your thing I've asked you to do. You told them there'll be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now we got to get you out of here because your life is now in danger. Because the people with power are now going to come after you. So here's the deal. First, some history about the kings who ruled over Israel. So the first king was king, anyone know? Saul. 
The next king was King David, right? King David we mostly know about, right? He was a good king, a man after God's own heart, right? And he did a lot of good things. He also wasn't perfect, not by a long shot, right? After King David came his son, King Solomon. You guys are awesome. Now, King Solomon ruled well for a while. His greatest, accompli- his greatest accomplishment was building the temple in Jerusalem, right? But in his old age, he sort of gave in to, oh, how do we say this nicely? Um, like his, his, his biggest flaw, maybe, right? So a few chapters before what we read this morning, we learned that, that King Solomon loved the ladies, especially foreign women, okay? And uh, in fact, he loved them so much that we, he wound up having, having, listen to this, 700 wives of noble birth and 300 concubines. Goodness. That's wow, right? And the writer of 1 Kings says, his wives led him astray, which is the writer's way of saying that he started following the foreign gods, right? Even building altars to them. And then King Solomon dies and Israel's downward spiral just sort of gets out of control and it's not good, right? So a little more history. Israel breaks out into a civil war, which divides the kingdom in two. You've got the northern kingdom of Israel. You've got the southern kingdom of Judah. And it's into this northern kingdom of Israel that God sends his man, his guy, Let's do this, Elijah. Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead. Right now, the kingdom of Israel would last for like 200 years until the brutal uh, Assyrian Empire would come in and destroy it. And during those 200 years, the kingdom of Israel was ruled by, get this, 19 wicked kings. 19 evil leaders in a row. Can you imagine 19 in a row. The seventh of those kings was the worst of them all. What what do you think his name was? King Ahab. Okay, so listen to what is written about King Ahab just before. We're building up to why this is such a big deal that Elijah comes in and says, there's not going to be any rain unless I say so. Listen to what he says. Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which is idol worship, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Some people say Baal. Some people say Baal. I don't think it really matters. I'll probably switch just for fun. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. So I think we're getting a pretty good picture of this King Ahab and what he was like and what he did. He married Jezebel who worshipped Baal. Jezebel was the daughter of the king of the Sidonians named Ethbaal. That name means 
Baal is God. And then he decided to serve and worship Baal. This is the leader, the king of Israel, who should be worshiping the Lord. But he decides to worship Baal. And he even built a temple to Baal in the capital city of Samaria. Now there's something interesting about this foreign god, Baal. He's known as the god of fertility. Or get this, the god of rain. Ha ha! The god of rain. So the king of Israel no longer serves and worships the Lord, the, king, the god of Israel, but now serves Baal, the rain god. Are you with me? Are you seeing what this is now? So it's into the rain god worshiping King Ahab's court. Walks Elijah the Tishbite. And to the rain god worshiping King Ahab's face, Elijah says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. He's declaring war. He's issuing a challenge. He's essentially saying, you think Baal is God? You think, you think Baal is the one who brings new life? Because that's what rain does. Oh, it's raining out. Awesome. You think Baal is the one who provides that? You think Baal is the one who provides rain? You think Baal is the one who provides new life? You think Baal is the one who, who makes the thunder roar and the rain fall down? Really? You think Baal sustains this land and brings forth fruit and gives you the fresh water of life? Well, I say, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Let's throw down Ahab. Ooh, that's what I'm talking about right there. Right, now that's, that's a real prophet. That's a guy with guts. Elijah the Tishbite stands up to the king, confronts the powers of this world. Elijah the Tishbite lives life on the edge, right? Elijah the, the Tishbite sort of sort of dances on that line between God's reign in this world and evil's bid to take that away from God. Dangerous territory he's standing on right here. So you can imagine that Elijah's scared. You can imagine his whole body sort of shaking and shivering because King Ahab could have him killed on the spot. Off with your head, sir. You're done. But he trusts. He has faith. And somehow, some way, God gives him courage and he does the thing. What about you? What about, what about me? Think about where he lives. He lives life on the edge. Are we willing to live life on the edge? Are we willing to dance on that line between God's reign in this world and evil's bid to take it? Do we have courage to stand up and confront the powers of this world? Do we have guts to square off with evil? Do we? Are we ready to challenge and take on the lies of all the little gods that are all over the place. We just don't call them gods anymore. But they're everywhere. Do we have courage enough to do this? So we're going to scratch the surface this morning. We'll get deeper as we move forward. But let's just think about a few ideas here. When we're sitting in a room full of friends, or maybe we're in an online room of friends, Friends we care about, friends we trust, friends we, friends we love. 
And we start noticing that they're spreading sort of false falsities about someone else or making assumptions about others or, or making character judgments based on things like innuendo. Well, we have the courage to stand up and take and have, we have the courage it takes to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute, we don't know if any of that's true. We don't. This isn't right. Will we have, will we have the, the sort of guts it takes to stand up to the little God of worship or of the little God of gossip? Will we? Will we stand up? Or when someone at work begins to chart a course of action that we know is unethical, but we also know it's going to make our company a lot of money, Will we have guts enough to stand up and say, hold on a minute. Like, this just isn't right. People are going to get hurt by this. Why in the world would we move forward? This isn't, this isn't right. It doesn't matter how much money we make. We've got to put the brakes on here. And will we have guts enough to stand up to the little God of greed? Or what about this? When our faith, when our faith tradition becomes known for things like arrogance and exclusion and, the, and begins to perpetuate wild conspiracy theories, will we have guts enough to say, no, man, this isn't the way of love. Jesus said the world will know us by our love. Will we have guts enough to stand up and say those things? Are we willing to step up, stand up, speak out? Are we willing to live life on the edge? In a world that doesn't want to have much to do with God at all and would rather chase after all the little gods, will we embody the the spirit of Elijah the Tishbite? Will we do that? It's hard. It might be hard. It might be dangerous. Maybe we won't have the resources or maybe we don't think we have the resources. But here's the deal. If we follow this narrative, God will provide what we need. If we stand up and live life on the edge and have that kind of courage, show that kind of faith, God actually provides. Follow the story. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. The ravens are going to feed you? Like, can you think of a more least likely place for provision to come than a, a raven? He does, and he's fed. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So picture Elijah. He's supported by this brook, and it dries up. He's in the wilderness now with nothing to drink. Again, he must have been frightened. He's like, God, you asked me to do this thing, and now I have no water. And then all of a sudden he realizes, oh yeah, I just told the king that it wasn't going to rain, and it's not raining, which is why the brook dried up. God is faithful, true to what God says, right? He remembers. Then the word of the Lord comes to him again. Go out once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. There's something you need to know about Zarephath. It's like a hundred mile walk. God says, okay, next, walk for a hundred miles. Imagine walking from here to Des Moines, back here, back to Des Moines, roughly a hundred-ish miles. Maybe we're lacking about 10 miles. Go up to Story City on the way back. 
That's a long walk. There's something else you need to know about Zarephath. It's in Queen Jezebel's, the wife of King Ahab. It's in her backyard. Go there, God says. He's being hunted by King Ahab and Jezebel. They want him dead because it hasn't been raining. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. A widow. He's in enemy territory. There's a severe drought. Food is scarce. And now a widow is supposed to feed him. Widows were some of the most vulnerable people in society. The poorest of poor. And a widow is supposed to feed him. So he goes to Zarephath. He asks the widow for some water to drink. She says she doesn't have enough, just enough for her and her son, and then they're going to die. So this not only is a widow who hasn't, this is a widow who's at the end. There's nothing left. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home. Do as you've said. First, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord brings rain on the land. When we live life on the edge for God, God will always provide. Of course, what Elijah says comes true. An act of faith, this non-Israelite widow gives up her last little bit of food. And what happens? The flour and the oil never run out. So I have a couple of things to say about that, which I find fascinating. When we have a need, sometimes God's provision comes from the least likely places. Ravens? What is that? A widow with nothing? She's got a last little bit, and then she's expecting to starve to death. The least likely places. Sometimes God's provision comes from there. Friends, God is a master at this. When we think we have nothing, we have everything because we have God. Let me say that again. When we think we have nothing, we have everything because we have the presence of the divine with us. When we think resources are scarce, God shows up in abundance. And sometimes it comes from the least likely places. I remember back in, I think it was 2015, we were worshiping in the middle school and the school suddenly, without warning, changed their policy about their use, our use of the cafeteria over there. And they said, you can no longer do it if school is in session and spring break was coming up in a couple of weeks and, we, and Easter was on spring break. And we were like, we can't even have Easter together. And so what happened? You know where we wound up worshiping? in a bar. We worshiped in a bar. We went to the owner of the bar, who at the time was the owner of Hickory Park, and we were like, hey, do you think maybe we can rent out the, you know, the old building? It's right over there. It's now being converted into a sports complex or something. And he's like, sure, go ahead. And he gave us four weeks and didn't even charge us rent. What? Came from the least likely place. And so we worshiped in a bar with neon lights and this spinning coconut tree with, with neon light. It was fantastic. 
was great. Like if it wouldn't have taken so much money to renovate the place, maybe we would have bought it and turned it into a church, but it didn't work out that way. Now we've got this, right? How many of you have that, have had that experience where you like you've got some certain need in your life and somebody shows up at just the right time and you're like, man, I didn't see that coming. I just didn't see that coming. You showed up at just the right time. Some of you here in this room have showed up for this church at just the right time. I'm so grateful. And here's the deal. If, if, if a church, let me ask you this question. I was thinking about this just this morning. If, if, if a church is like struggling and like, man, we need, to, we need to meet people. We need to reach people. Where do we go? Do we, do we go to powerful, to people who have a lot? Or do we go to the least likely place? Is that where we go? The people who are on the outside, the marginalized. Maybe help comes from, from the least likely place. Maybe we, start, maybe we start enlarging our embrace. Maybe that's what we do. Jesus was the master of this. Jesus comes, incarnate, becomes a human being. And where did he go? To Caesar. It was like, Caesar, let's start a movement, brother. We got this. No. Jesus, who shows us who God is, becomes one of us and immediately goes to the edges of society goes to the marginalized, right? Where, where would we go? Maybe that's where we go. Because when we have a need, God's help, God's provision sometimes comes from the least likely place. Maybe places we're not supposed to go. Not supposed to go. Here's the second thing I have to say. Will we just share what we've been given? I mean, sometimes God gives, right? We all have lungs that breathe, hearts that beat. We've got clothes on our back and we've got food on our tables and largely everything's reasonably comfortable for most of us. God just gives. But sometimes it seems that there's a connection between God's provision and our willingness to share. Sometimes it seems that there's a connection between God's provision and our willingness to share. It seems to me that sometimes God provides when we've got hearts that are willing to share of what we've been given. Think about this widow. She's a hero. She's got nothing. She's down to her last meal, and then she will die. And yet, in faith, she's not an Israelite. She doesn't worship the Lord your God. And yet, in faith, she has faith enough to give it away to God's prophet. She has faith enough to live life on the edge right there with this guy who's on the run from the king of Israel who wants him dead. And in that extreme act of faith, God responds with an abundance of never letting that flower and never letting that oil run out. So will we live life on the edge? Do we confront the little gods of this world? And there are many. We'll talk about more. Do we have the guts that it takes? Will we live life on the edge and risk what we have, what we've been given, 
for the benefit of others. What will we share of our bank accounts, our homes, our land, our talents? What about us together as a church? What we've been given, this building, this land, our resources, will we live life on the edge or not? Friends, I think we will. Because I think if we want to be a people of integrity at all and follow Jesus, I don't think we have a choice. But I think when we do, when we live life on the edge, when we confront the powers of evil in this world, when we dance on that line between God's God's reign of love in this world and evil's bid to take it away with all sorts of other stuff, when when we dance on that line, I truly believe that God absolutely will provide. And we can all celebrate. Let's pray.